Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. So today we got a great episode on deck for you with a really interesting guest in Scott Harkey. If you're not familiar with Scott, let me give you a quick background. He's the president of OH Partners, one of the largest and most decorated advertising agencies in the Southwest. His clientele includes such icons as Walt Disney, National Geographic, Airbnb, and the NBA, just to name a few. OH Partners has consistently been ranked one of Inc. 500's and Adweek's fastest-growing private companies. Scott has been named on the Arizona Republic's 35 Under 35 Entrepreneurs List, the Phoenix Business Journal's 40 Under 40 List, and was voted by his peers as Ad Person of the Year in 2018. In our conversation, we cover everything from how to build a business from the ground up, like Scott's done, and also a lot about the current climate for advertising and marketing and how to really reach your customers and your consumers and connect with them on an emotional level that builds brand loyalty. So there's tons of insights here. You're going to want to listen to the whole shebang. I promise it will not disappoint. Without further ado, here's Scott Harkey. Is going to require work and time and sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change is the only constant. The Kadena Podcast. Scott, welcome to the show. Brian, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, what <laughs> what an intro. I like it. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. I know. I just wanted to highlight you, man. It seems like you've been doing some pretty big things. Well, we've we've been working hard. So uh yeah, it's uh it's been it's been a wild, fun ride. So uh yeah, no, thank you for that. I I really appreciate it. Yeah, very cool. And so as I'm going through that, I mean, we talk about advertising agencies. I always think of that show, uh, Mad Men. Uh, is it like that anymore? Or is that just all about <laughs> yesteryear? You know, there, there's pieces. I, I love that show. I remember when it came out um, and they, they did such a great job. And um, what's funny is um, my co-founder, uh, we co-founded it together 14 years ago. Uh, he was my cousin, uh, my second cousin, actually. And his dad was in the advertising agency business for 30 plus years. Um, okay. Uh, back in the Mad Men day. Uh, and I used to have a desk in my office. It was from his dad's original agency in the 1960s. Uh, and it was it was actually like back in style again, because uh, like, you know, styles always come back. It was like this cool, you know, mid-modern kind of desk. And the top of the desk had like cigarette burns on. It. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, I don't think we're having the martini lunches and, and smoking all day. Uh, but certainly I think we're coming back to um, campaigns that that really you know drive some sort of feeling. Again, um, I think for a while there was really about kind of hyper targeted you know low funnel you know digital stuff, um, and now as you know uh, media is is really fragmented. I think the the Mad Men era is definitely coming back where you have to have some campaigns that really motivate and inspire people, um, kind of bring people together. It's not about this targeted you know, campaign anymore. It's about a campaign that appeals to somebody at a, at a really emotional level in a bunch of different demographics. I think that's what makes a great campaign. Like Airbnb has been famous for some of the work that they've done. Um, Belong Anywhere was, was a consumer insight that they had in a campaign they developed that I thought really resonated with an 18 year old and a 15 year old, a 50 year old, you know, and, and different economic levels. So I think that's what we're seeing come back again in, in the business. 
That's interesting. And one of the things I was thinking is like, we're just so inundated in today's society with information, advertisements. It's like you, you can't walk or turn on your phone or whatever without, you know, just seeing so much right in your face. You mentioned that emotional attachment that you want your clients to have with their customer. How do you kind of cut through all the noise? Like how, yeah. how do you build a successful campaign today? So uh, uh, there's been a ton of studies, Google, um, uh, ANA, the four A's, uh, the amount of, of commercialized messaging that, that your North American consumer sees, is, it's insane. Um, a few years ago, the number that I kept saying was um, the average uh, consumer seeing 5,000 ads a day. Um, I think that number's gone up since then. Um, we're just bombarded with, with logos, advertising, messaging on every platform. Uh, and so to really resonate uh, a message with that kind of noise is nearly impossible. Um, some of the biggest, I think, mistakes I see marketers make all the time is they're just, they don't have the amount of frequency uh, that it takes. I think Google was saying a few years ago that the, to really exist in a consumer's mind, from a brand and advertising standpoint, you needed between 18 and 25 monthly impressions to really stand out in that noise. Um, I tell people all the time that, that, that any sort of advertising campaign, typically you're buttering the toast too thin um, and you're not really loading up with that frequency. Even if you have a great, really emotional, compelling message um, that really resonates with, with, with consumer trends. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really difficult right now, um, as you've, you've seen, um, to, to really, you know, exist, much less, you know, get customers. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. Is that really a, um, I guess the, the results that your customers realize, is it really dictated by just frankly, just money? You know, when you think about buying clicks, you know, pay-per-click and all these things that you see through SEO and, um, you know, it seems like the, the algorithms all geared towards you're essentially paying for these views. Uh, is that true? Or do you think yeah. there's still a lot of, you know, maybe creativity that can just kind of bypass all that? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, budget matters. Um, and I think, you know, the biggest, you know, not the big, I keep saying the biggest mistake to make, uh, I, I think with social media, like people think, oh, I have this free platform. And, you know, this is great. And I'm going to organically reach all these people. And, you know, people that, you know, are part of my loyalty program are now going to see my messaging and no, it's still pay to play. Um, you know, Facebook, you know, meta, uh, you know, and that's Instagram and, and Facebook and, and, and Twitter, all these people want you to pay to even reach your own existing audience. Um, so, you know, the, the thought of creating this great organic content um, is, is a fallacy. Uh, you, you need to build distribution uh, uh, channels that, that have, you know, eyeballs behind it and great content, whether they're, whether they're even your own people who follow you or new people. Um, I, you know, I, I truly believe that, that, that social media channels are some of the best ad platforms invented. Um, and you need to apply budget, uh, and target audience, uh, for distribution along with great content. So, you know, community management of, of your social channels where you're just creating organic content and thinking people are going to give a shit or actually see it um, is a huge fallacy. Um, so, yeah, it does take budget. 
but there is a lot of creativity available. That's why I think you've seen influencers be such a big deal over the past five years. And I also think that's why you've seen so many uh, influencer-driven, celebrity-driven brands. Uh, they have an advantage because they have distribution. Um, you know, Meta doesn't want to pay for talent. They want free talent to, to have um, uh, uh, content delivered in their platforms. So that's why I think influencers and celebrities have had an advantage because they have distribution built in uh, to their model. So if they're announcing or behind a brand, they can share it and, and Facebook and instant, you know, Meta needs that content to be seen uh, because it's interesting. And again, they're, they're not paying people to develop shows. Um, so uh, you've seen a huge rise in influencer marketing. I'm a, I'm a big believer in influencer marketing right now. It, it, it's hot for a reason. Um, but yeah, most people, I think, forget that you have to pay for distribution. Um, you can't just create content. The, the field of dream strategy of, you know, build it and they will come to just that that's that doesn't exist. I feel like that could be kind of like, a, I don't know how else to say it, almost like a kick in the nuts to like a small business owner or a startup that is saying, oh, man, I think I got this great idea, or this great product or service. And it sounds like we just got to dump a boatload of money in, in advertising to let the people know we're here. Yeah. Um, any advice for maybe those folks that are starting out? Yeah. So um, I like to think of a, a four-legged stool approach um, right now. In, in the And I, I think we really are in a new world of business. Um, uh, I think your strategy and things you were doing even two years ago, pre-pandemic, are, are not relevant in, in the new world. Um, and I think the four-legged stool approach that I've been counseling brands, um, and I talked about this actually recently, we just helped launch a brand for Devin Booker, um, Charles Barkley, uh, and it's, a, it's an enhanced water brand called Coco 5. Um, and uh, I applied the, the four-legged stool to this approach. We just launched and it's had uh, amazing success. I mean, we just outsold vitamin water in a major grocery chain recently. Wow. Our Amazon sales have been great. It's a, it's a fast-growing brand. Um, and it goes like this. Number one, you need a great product. Uh, you have to have an, an amazing product that's differentiated in the marketplace. Uh, that's number one. That's the first kind of leg of the stool. Second, you need relevance, uh, whether that's you, you have a celebrity involved, you have an influencer involved, or you're, you're just relevant in pop culture, whether you're Patagonia or whether you're a hot restaurant locally, or whether you have something that, that just leads its way to having some sort of relevance as a brand. Um, and you can't buy, you can't buy it anymore. You can't just buy TV commercials like you used to. You have to be relevant. That's the second stool. Um, the third one is you have to have a distribution channel. Um, whether you're a product and you have distribution in big box stores, or if you have a niche product and you're in gyms or whatever it is, you, you have to have distribution of either brick and mortar um, or Amazon or distribution of content, right? You have a show that's on, you know, uh, Netflix, or you have, you have some sort of ways to where that people see your stuff. Um, and, that, and, and distribution can be a number of different things. And the fourth thing, I think you have to have really good um, uh, brand architecture and strategy and marketing execution uh, from, from a strategy standpoint of how you're differentiated, how you're, how, how you'd be relevant in consumers' lives um, and how it's positioned. And then um, you have to execute that, that marketing plan really well. 
Um, and I think those are the brands that, that I've seen do really well in this, this new world, um, whether that's uh, Smart Water with Jennifer Aniston or whether that's Casa Amigos Tequila with George Clooney. If you look at the brands doing it really well right now, uh, if you look at Tesla, SpaceX, um, name that brand. I, I see those four things in common of them doing those things right. And now, and that was great advice. I like Scott that kind of the four-legged stool. I think that simplifies things. Mm -hmm. But at the the beginning, when I was talking about your intro, I mean, we're naming clients like Walt Disney and Nat Geo, and like you just said, this new venture with Charles Barkley. A lot of really established brands out there. You would think that they've got their own marketing arm, their own PR people. Um, I guess they do. And then do they kind of like subcontract somebody like you to? Uh, to really kind of amp it up or how does that work nowadays? Yeah, it, you know, we're, we're, we're in a, I think, I think we're in the most collaborative environment I've ever seen um, where in-house marketing departments are collaborating with agencies like mine. Um, and I think that's given like little agencies like mine. I mean, we're an independently owned agency, which is rare for our size and, and the clients we work with. Uh, we're about 175 people. Um, but, you know, I don't have shareholders. I don't have private equity. I've bootstrapped this company. Um, and what I'm finding is, you know, large or small marketing departments want to partner with independent or smaller agencies because it's a, it's a team effort. It's a collaboration and it's bringing different skill sets to the table. Um, typically, uh, we're probably most comfortable in the lane of, of strategy and really looking at consumer trends um, in, in a way that we can, we can share those with brands and making sure that their brand purpose aligns with what consumers want and how that kind of fits into the, the brand profile. And then where in the journey do they need to, to live with consumers, whether that's the awareness phase, whether it's the repeat purchase phase, whether it's the loyalty stage. So really looking at, at marketing strategy and tactics from a journey standpoint. Um, but yeah, I mean, whether you're a brand that has one marketing person or, 2000, it doesn't matter. I, I still think collaborations are the name of the game. And whether you're collaborating with influencers or whether you're doing collaborations with other brands, you know, and it can exist at all levels. If you're Vans and you're collaborating with, you know, amazing skaters and artists and, and creating specific shoes that are really cool that you're, and you're, and you're, you're capitalizing on all the audiences of your collaborators, or you're a, a local IT or restaurant or hotel brand, and you're collaborating with like, your local influencers that have support, or you're collaborating with other local companies that and doing things together to capitalize on on your different owned channels and audiences, um, or you're 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 a local smaller company partnering with a smaller ad agency and you're collaborating how you can delegate different roles and responsibilities for for marketing. Um, you know we're we're in a we're in a talent war right now. So there's not like amazing marketing people and designers and creatives just all over the place. Uh, so we need to, I, I believe, figure out a way to, you know, work together to, you know, maximize, you know, what talent we have. Um, so that's kind of, that's a, that's the way I see it. And it's, it's what we've had to do with, you know, our clients like Walt Disney company with, with their marketing department. And it's even smaller companies that are, you know, CEO led less than, you know, 25 million in sales and they don't have any marketing department. So for me as an agency, we need to scale up or down either way, whether I have 25 people on a business or, or two um, and whether it is a huge, large marketing department or no marketing department, like figuring a way to, to staff and scale and strategize that um, yeah. I think is, is the new world. 
That's, I mean, that's pretty cool because it seems like you, from day to day, I mean, you'd be working on just such different projects uh, that have different demands. So keeps yeah, you on no, your toes. Sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, have a, we have a golf brand that's, that's completely new that has some real, um, I think, uh, um, uh, interesting uh, ways of, of using golf technology that hasn't been done. Uh, and, and then, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a scale up startup, you know, they've got some seed money, they're doing, they're, they're doing well, it's not like a startup startup. And then we've got, you know, a fortune 100 company. So that's pretty, I mean, that's a pretty wide range of, of scale. Um, and I, I have, I would counsel any company, even if you're below, you know, 50 million in sales, I, I think there are smaller ad agencies or, or boutiques or, freelancers that you can utilize. Um, and I think that old mantra of you have to have everything in house is, is really flawed right now when, when talent's so scarce. I mean, even as an agency, I have 175 full-time people, but we have thousands of collaborators and freelancers that we hire out all the time, whether that's a business of five or 10 people, whether that's an agency of a hundred people, um, you know, I, I think finding scale and talent, like you have to be really creative right now. And I, I used to have that old school mentality, like I want everything in house and I want full-time people and dedicated people. And now it's like, no, I want the best person at this very specific skill, whether they work for me full-time or not, like I need this done and I need it to be counted on to happen. And my clients are okay. If I'm a general contractor, finding other talent, whether it's my own full-time talent or other partnership talent. And to that point, so you got a team of 175 full-time, where do you find them? Like, what are you looking for? Are these people that, that majored in marketing at a great college, or are you stealing them from a company that you realize they really got innovative ideas? So you take that talent yeah. or what, what are you doing? So uh, it's kind of interesting um, and it's, it's been a challenge, you know, I'm not going to say I have it figured out um, because I've, I've failed miserably in a number of ways. Uh, <laughs> professional services is, is a really difficult business um, uh, and, and advertising. I mean, as you can imagine, I have um, uh, a lot of millennial kind of creative types um, who, who want to do great work and inspired more by the work and, and what we're up to as a company, what our clients are up to, then, 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 you know, compensation. Um, although they need, they want both, right? They want, they want, they want to be paid well for the for the great work that they do, and they want to be inspired, and they want a lot of diversity of work to keep them that to keep their minds stimulated. Um, so I, I've kind of come to the realization that I I have actually two, um, I have two like benefits of of, of workforce. I have senior um, marketing professionals that have been in the business, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. They've worked at national agencies. They've worked on the brand side in-house at high level. Um, and they love the business and they want to work in marketing and advertising. And my companies are just a platform for them to do great work for great clients. And I don't micromanage them. I stay out of their way. They can come into the office. They can work from home. They can do whatever the hell they want um, because they know that like they're going to get the work done and I trust them to get the work done. Um, then I have newer people in the business, call it less than five years, who it's our job to train them and to coach and mentor them to get better at the craft of marketing and advertising. Where I struggle is that mid-tier group. 
uh, because there's typically two tracks and I've just had to accept this in my business. There's the track of someone who's going to be an agency lifer and loves working in agencies uh, and they want that diversity of work. Um, or there's other people that want to learn the craft of marketing and advertising and go capitalize on their skill set, whether it's their own agency or they're probably going to go in house and make more money. Um, I've probably started, you know, more advertising agencies than anybody in Phoenix and Vegas because I've I've trained people in the we've trained people in the business and they've gone off and done their own thing. And that should be celebrated. And I put probably more people in house than you could imagine, right? They get the skill set and then the in-house people, oh, you worked at that agency that does an insane work. Like we're going to hire you and, and we're going to pay you 40% more money. Um, and that's just the reality of the business. And, and I'm, I'm learning to just accept that that's part of the business where we're going to train people and they're going to get better jobs um, and make more money than we can pay them at that mid-level scale. Um, and, and my senior people are my diehards uh, and they've, they, they've worked at other places and they know what good culture looks like and they know what good work balance looks like. And so they, they have that respect um, and appreciation for what our platform can provide them. Uh, so it's, it, I, I don't have the answer. I think the mid-level piece to the business is really difficult um, and that's where we struggle, uh, but that's okay. I, I think we can now charge our clients uh, more money uh, for the senior leadership that they're gonna get and if there's some lower funnel work that needs to get done, production design, you know, more, you know, uh, less strategic work, I have that workforce too. Um, so it's just, I think just, I've been able to accept the cards that were dealt and the industries uh, that we serve in the industry that we're in um, and, and just not try to like BS ourselves. Like, you know, um, we need to be a certain way, just accept that this is kind of part of the business and, celebrate when people leave for better opportunities. Yeah. And I think that right there, I mean, is, um, that's such a strength because a lot of people, at least I found dealing with business, it's like you recruit somebody that, you know, you're impressed by, you pour your heart and soul into building them up. And, and then all of a sudden you expect almost like a bit of ownership of them. Like they're an asset of your company that you can't yeah. ever let go. And that's, I mean, that's hard. It's just natural to feel like, Hey, where are you going? Like, where's the loyalty? But if you can celebrate that big jump that they have, it's kind of like that karma just floating around, I guess that can always come back to you. For, for sure. I mean, but, but you have to, you have to understand professional service businesses, right? It's, it's law firms. Like let, let's look at law firms, accounting firms and consulting firms in particular, the big four accounting firms, here's how it works. You go work there. You're a badass coming out of school. You're super smart, top of your class. You, you work in there like you work 12 hours a day and you're just, you're a workhorse for that professional. And they train you at an unreal level. You know, if you're at, if you're at um, uh, Deloitte or Accenture, you know, you're, the, the type of training you're getting as a newbie, it, it's unreal. And you have two tracks or, or you're a, a lawyer, right? And you're going to a big law firm. You're working like crazy. There's two tracks. You have the partner track where you're going to be, you know, a, a high level executive or partner or VP within that organization within five to 10 to 12 years. Um, or you're going to take that skill set uh, and take it to another industry and get paid really well. But what the accounting firms and the consulting firms have learned is treat those people really well, celebrate them leaving. And then when they're a CFO at another company, they hire their old firm back because they, yep. they respect yep. the training 
and the badasses that are over at that firm. So if you look at all the CFOs that have left the big four accounting firms, they hire their old accounting firm back and there's alumni parties and all this stuff. Um, I think advertising, we somehow think we're in a different industry or something like, no, we're in professional services. It works the it's same all way the same. consulting and accounting firms and lawyers. Uh, yeah, we no sell different. time for hours. So yep. um, I'm trying to like take a piece to that kind of book a little bit. And, you know, when, when someone goes and starts their own agency, like be super happy for them. Good. Like you should be well liked as part of that labor workforce. Like people should be like, you know what, they actually care about people. Um, and they want the best for them, even if it's not as good for their business. Like, I think that will serve us in the long run. Definitely. No, I think it's a great mentality. And segueing a little bit off of that. So I think one of the things that our listeners love to learn about is the actual people behind these companies. Mm -hmm. So it, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started and kind of built this little empire of advertising? I mean, was it a, a dream? Did you want to go to school for marketing or was it just kind of a happenstance thing that you and that partner you mentioned earlier kind of ended up together? You know, how did yeah, we get started? Yeah, no, great, great question. Um, I've always loved marketing and advertising. Um, uh, I just thought the business was cool. Like, you know, when TV commercials would come on, I'd want to watch them. Um, and so I, you know, in, in, in high school, I was in DECA, you know, like the marketing club. Um, and so I'm just passionate about the business. I mean, it's not the it's definitely not the business to get rich in. It's really difficult. The margins are small. Um, I've had a lot of people in real estate and financial services, that have, you know, made a ton of money. Um, uh, but I, I've always loved the business. And so uh, when I was in school, um, I loved it and uh, I actually got into it. But I, I started I started selling radio when I was like 20. Um, and I, uh, I learned pretty quickly in radio if I had if I had some insight as to what audience my radio station could offer businesses and how we could create content, you know, radio commercials at that time that appealed to that audience, um, I could help make that business money. Um, and so that kind of like was a, was a cool um, early case study when a lot of the other radio salespeople were just trying to sell time. And um, for whatever reason, I had this idea to create commercials that I knew would work in our, on our, in our stations and I would go present that radio commercial like it was creative and they would buy time on the station. Almost didn't, I learned that creative could sell uh, better than just, you know, um, you know, boring spots and dots, so to speak. And yeah. so then when I was working in radio, I ended up working for CBS uh, selling airtime. Um, and I worked with a lot of agencies at that point, you know, later in my radio career. Um, and I saw how the agencies were doing business. And I, I was like, I want to be on the agency side. I think I can do it better. Uh, so long story short, I, I partnered with my second cousin who had a tiny little agency. Um, and we had a little office in Scottsdale, not an office. We worked out of his condo in Scottsdale, uh, at an office kitchen table. He had two cats. Um, we had no employees, uh, and we were in a little condo and we'd have to make excuses to go meet people for coffee. Cause we were so embarrassed that we didn't have an office and we just grinded it out. We pitched you know, a lot of business and we lost almost all the big pitches we ever had. And I think um, at least advertising and probably most businesses is not a game of how smart you are. It's just a, it's just a game of how long can you stay at it? Um, and I counsel people that have businesses, um, how long a runway do you have? Because it's not about having the greatest idea or being super smart. 
it's just like businesses don't fail. They just run out of money. And so for, for me, um, I found a way to do it for like six or seven years. And that long runway created lift. And then that's when hockey stick could get going. The hardest thing is getting a big jumbo jet, you know, off the runway that takes years. Um, and lucky enough for me, you know, I was dumb enough, um, and passionate enough about the business of marketing advertising that like, I knew I would succeed because I was going to, if it took 10 years or 20 years, I was just going to stay at it. Um, and then what happened about 10 years into the business, then all of a sudden liftoff like it. And then when liftoff happens, you go up in the air pretty quickly. Um, and that's kind of when hockey stick happened for us. And we went from a nobody, uh, even in our home, you know, startup market of Phoenix to the largest agency in the Southwest. I mean, it, it felt like people overnight were like, Hey, what, you know, what the hell happened? Like you guys just out of nowhere became the biggest agency in town. I mean, now we're the biggest agency in Phoenix by three times. Um, and, and agencies have been in our market for, you know, 50, 60 years. Um, but you know, for seven years, we had no clients. Like we were just scraping by with no money. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, I just believe in businesses. Like a lot of times people are like, Hey, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to start this company. I'm like, no, you shouldn't do that. Start something on the side because it's going to take you sure. three, four, five, six, seven years to have any scale in the business. And now when you had that lift off, was it just all sort of medium sized things started to come together at once? Or was there like an explosion like that, that, that big client that said, yeah. Hey, you're our guys. Like what was it, the tipping point? It was an explosion. Um, I think one year I looked, I think we pitched like 137 accounts and I lost like, like 125 of those pitches. Um, but what I did is some of these state accounts or some of these federal government accounts that we would pitch from a marketing standpoint, one of the benefits to pitching accounts is you can request to see why you lost and you can request to see the scorecards and the other competitors' proposals. So, really? yeah. Is that a government so, thing or that's... Yeah, it's like, a government thing because, it, yeah, okay. because they, they, have to, they have to be transparent but as to why they selected the firm they selected. So I would sure. see the judge panel scorecards and then I would see all my competitors' proposals. And so that year I learned how far I had to come to be more sophisticated as a marketer. I learned about what um, departments and what talent I need to bring in to beef up our capabilities and I learned what our competitors were strong at and what we were weak at. And so that year of failure, and it was insane failure. I mean, talk about pitching, you know, spending thousands of hours up all night to pitch an account and lose is just devastating. It's horrible to have that happen a hundred plus times in a year is like morally, like it, it, you're just, you're, you're, you're glutton for punishment. Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. Like, like that's stupid. Like I would never do that today. Um, <laughs> You're, you, you know, my win rate, I pay very attention, I, I, you know, what percentage of accounts we pitch that we win is a KPI I pay attention to really closely, but we learned so much that year and, and it's, it's fun to be like, oh, hey, we're doing great. We're great. But to really have that hard feedback, like, man, we're not even close. Uh, we yeah. have a long way to come in that, 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 that realism to hit you um, and get you going fast forward that next year uh, we I think it was two years after that we won like the biggest accounts you could win. I mean, we won like a $60 million uh, account, uh, the Arizona lottery, which was a very uh, historical important account in Arizona. It was like a $15 million a year, a five-year contract. And no one expected us to win. 
but I planned on pitching that two years ahead of time. We hired lottery consultants. We, we worked on that for literally two years before the pitch was even up. Um, and we hit, and then right after that, we won Gila river, uh, hotels and casinos, this huge tribal, um, casino account, uh, which was like, you know, $20 million a year. And then we won a big utility account, uh, like, and that was all in like a year. So we grew like 300% in one year, which, which brings new challenges of staffing and things like that. But yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, we got really lucky in one year, uh, because for seven years we got our ass kicked. That's yeah. to me how that hockey stick thing happened. Sure. It's funny. It's like the same thing in building a financial planning business. Like a lot of people ask me now or, or newbies in the career, they're like, would you start all over and do this again? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, yeah. No, I don't know no if I, I know now. Again. Hell no. The, 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 <laughs> I, I would not start an agency from scratch again. It's too, it, it, it was seven years of my life making no money and getting humiliated. It, I mean, it was, I had to go to rehab after seven years, like legit, like it crushed me. It was, it was insane. So it's funny when you see people now, they're like, oh my gosh, like, how did you do that? Or, oh, you have a, you have a family business that you took over. Like, no, 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 there was no family business. We took over. We started it with no clients, zero clients. Um, And, and for seven years we made no money. Uh, so you had to live really lean and most people don't want to yeah. do that. Most people are making a hundred or 200 grand a year. They don't want to go to making 20 grand a year for seven years to have the benefit of a, of a business that could be worth millions. Like the, 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 the risk reward and the trade-off isn't worth it. Yeah. It's funny. I saw one of my buddies sent me a YouTube video. This guy is a skateboarder that does this like ridiculous trick where he goes like off a rail and then he like clears 20, you know, steps and lands it like on the concrete as the board's flipping. It's, there's a crazy move. And it was like, this is pretty cool. And then it says, but would you do this? And then it shows like 20, just complete wipeouts. And yeah. it's like, are you willing to go through all of that to get to that last accomplishment? Yep. And uh, yeah, that's business. That's business. right Totally. There. And so, so, for, you know, again, for me, it's like, I, I love the business. Like I'm passionate about it. If this were any other business, there's no way we would make it. I, Cause I just, I, the, the, the trade-off I'd be like, nah, you know, like I, I like another, I remember, uh, I think it was two years ago. I'm, I'm stupid. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I want to break, I want to break Wes Walker's bench press record. Uh, here's a like smaller white guy, wide receiver. Like I'm a failed, you know, wide receiver, you know, in college. And I'm going to, he, I think he bench pressed like 24 times in the combine, uh, 225. Yeah. I was like, I can, I can break this. I can do this. And I got like, I think I got to like almost 10 times 225. And I'm like, nah, this trade off of this goal is not worth it. It It's silly. Like this, there's no reason to like try to accomplish this goal. I'm definitely not passionate about it. And I think that's what's fun about goals is like, you know, what do you, what goal do you really want to, to, to have happen? And what's the trade off for that goal? Yep. And then reality pretty much tells you if you're ready for it or not. You know, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm good. I'm, <laughs> yep. this, is a dumb, I, I, this is a dumb record, you know, like. I'm, yeah, I'm exactly. And out of curiosity, you know, as we're talking about the advertising and, and kind of how your business has grown, do you have a, a preference of working with, if we were to look at like three segments and we said you had the small business slash startup, uh, you have the government entity, like you mentioned the lottery and stuff. Or then you have like the the giant, like uh, Walt Disney or the NBA. Do you have one that you get more excited versus another or? 
Um, I personally, I'm a sucker because I love, I love taking something that has a lot of promise and making it bigger, uh, and making more people attached to it. Um, so there's a lot of scale ups that I love, like something like someone has a great idea. They have true differentiated differentiation in the marketplace and they want to take that and, and go to the moon. Um, those are my favorite projects. So when you have a, a well-funded, uh, probably fortune 5,000 company that has the budget and the vision and the marketing sophistication to do that, I love that. So that's why, you know, like we're working on a project with Wynn Resorts for a new Vegas show that's going to like blow people's minds um, that I can't even talk about because I'm under crazy NDAs. Um, that's the kind of stuff I, I really love. Um, but if there's a small company that, that is well-funded, that has an insane idea that like they're going to go from like no one to like, you know, like what's the next Uber? What's the next Airbnb? What's the next, what's the next brand that's truly going to change somebody's life? Um, and, and how do we put the marketing support together and the vision and the brand, uh, to do that? That's the, that's the work I, I love. Um, uh, you know, government's difficult, uh, because I, I, they're not entrepreneurs. Um, but those accounts can pay the bills, uh, you know, um, so I, I think it all depends. I think the hardest account and my advice to anyone in the agency business, it takes as much time uh, to handle a, a million dollar account a year as it does a hundred thousand dollar a year account. Um, so uh, finding ways to have a strength or a niche to win bigger pieces of business, um, I think is, is smart. Um, whether that's industry expertise or whether that's a, a marketing function expertise, I think specialization uh, for, for working with larger accounts that have bigger fees that have more sophistication because how you blow a lot of time is you're working with unsophisticated marketing people and you have to tell them why you're doing something around marketing that most, you know, sophisticated marketers already know. That's really frustrating. Um, yeah. And there's a great saying, like, show me a, a good marketer. I'll show you a better niche marketer. Um, I think that applies to business a lot is, you know, what's that niche you can, you know, really um, exploit and then you can broaden it out. People that try to go, I think, too broad, too quickly in, in any industry, I think that's that's a tough that's a tough putt. Got it. And would you say that right now the the number one tool is influencers? Like, is that is that kind of the first thing to try and say? You know, we're going to get somebody that matches up with your message, and then we'll just uh, blast it out to the world. Like, is that where your best return is? Yeah, I mean, depending on the size of business, the type of business. Um, I think the biggest opportunity is aligning existing people in your organization with a vision and, 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 and how that's going to change or inspire people or change people's lives. Like if you don't have alignment with your existing company or team, how the hell are you going to take a message externally that's believable? I mean, how many times do you ask someone at any company, like, Hey, what's your company up to? And they're like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. They don't know your core values. They don't know your mission, your mission or your vision. And then you're going to like put some bullshit message externally out of like what your company stands for. And your, your internal people don't even know. So I think the lowest hanging fruit is getting alignment within an organization of like, you know, why your company means something to people. Then you can externally have tactics. Then maybe finding an influencer that shares those values and is clear in those values and is excited about what you're doing to change the world and how that fits into their deal 
that's the, that's the true, um, I think magic that happens is when you're inspiring people. I mean, just paying an influencer to put, put them on their channels, not going to work because their followers are going to be like, this is bullshit. This is some paid ad, like screw this. And they're going to unfollow that person. And then, you know, the message isn't going to be believable, but if you find, you know, 20 micro influencers that love what you're doing because you're changing the community, you're changing the world, you're doing something amazing that they love, whether they're paid or not, that's the opportunity, but it takes that homework and alignment work first. And that's literally probably a big percentage of the work we do as an agency where we come in and we, we help gain alignment um, with vision and mission. And then we can create external, internal, you know, uh, marketing uh, 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 collateral and, and media tactics to then expand upon that. Uh, but most people just want to go right away, like externally do messaging to like, you know, publicize what they're doing. Um, and that, that doesn't work because it's not believable in my opinion. Gotcha. I mean, is that something you ask like the company, like pull them, you know, Hey, who do you think out there in society today kind of best represents you and then work off of that, like to kind of marry yeah, up that? I mean, almost all new engagements, I require doing what I call a brand workshop. And we bring the core leaders of the company and their, and, and people in the company that are influential, even sometimes customers. And, you know, we're trying to get, you know, eight to 12 people and we decide on what the company stands for, who the company is, how it's differentiated. Um, and we go through this core kind of business exercise. Um, and then our process is pretty simple. It's um, how does consumers behavior um, and, and trends uh, match up with what the company stands for with, and how is it differentiated from their competitors? Almost like these three circles and what is in the middle. And that middle area is how we can develop a campaign um, for the company. And great campaigns are more than a headline or a tagline or a campaign. They turn into a company ethos. And if you can take a tagline or a headline that, that matches up with how you benefit the consumer, how it's differentiated from your competition, and how it's true to your company, um, and you can develop a, a company ethos around that, and that company ethos is, is, bleeds into everything that company does, externally, internally, um, how, how, it, how it retains uh, employees and, and attracts employees, how it changes their, the, the people that are aligned with that brand's life and how it's differentiated than all the people in their, in their space. Um, that's where I think the real magic is done. Um, and that's, I mean, it's a simple process and agencies, you know, good ones have, have a similar kind of brand workshop process, but that's, that's what we do. Um, and then the, the, the work that we develop is launching off from a really healthy foundation and then the execution of creative gets really fun and really creative because you have this white space to create because it's not about is the ad blue is the logo red you know what type of people are in the ad or you know what are we doing on social media who are influence we're, we're off we're, we're our measurement for for campaign and creative is is all is this aligned with our company ethos um, is this aligned with what we talked about generally? And then the, the, the creative work gets way bigger and broader. And we're not in the little nitty gritty details of stupid shit of, you know, how the ad looks or where the logo is. And we're, we're thinking bigger and we're thinking about how we're inspiring and, and attracting people. So that's our process. And I, I've seen a number of agencies do other processes. We've had an iteration of this process, but I've done thousands of these brand workshops and I yeah. counsel every company big or small 
that a brand workshop's a way to get alignment and, and it's a way to really kick off strategy for how you're going to develop successful campaign creative. Um, and, and, and the best ones got milk, um, belong, uh, uh, anywhere, uh, just do it. Um, these are not taglines, they're company ethos. It's, it's mm -hmm. how your, your whole company are banded together internal employees, external clients or customers or users. Um, and that's, I think where great work happens. That's awesome. I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun where you're, you know, not just kind of taking an order and fulfilling it. You're, you're almost like business coaching and, and being so collaborative, you know, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Like, you know, we, we have a campaign right now called you do you, um, for a, a local casino group. Um, and it's turned into a whole company ethos, um, for internal, like their internal, you know, have thousands of, of, of operators in their hotels and their, and their restaurants. Um, and, and you do you is, it could mean so many different things. And it's based on a consumer insight that we found where people wanted to go to a place when they're, you know, vacationing or they're at a casino and they wanted to be themselves. Um, and that consumer insight turned into a campaign. And now that campaign's turned into a whole company ethos. Um, you, you do you means so much in, the, in that casino world for them. It's on everything. Everyone believes it. It's about customer service, it's about all this stuff, but it started from a consumer insight and then they've built everything around that. And it's really become like their kind of thing. Like, you know, it's awesome. Um, it's cool. So that we, I love that kind of stuff. When, when, a, when a consumer insight turns into a headline, the headline turns into a campaign, the campaign turns into like the soul of a company and yeah. everything you do is based, like is, is judged based on that. And then yeah, like, I think big business growth can happen because there's just such alignment. It's so clear. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's emotionally driven. Um, you know, people don't make decisions as we know, logically they make them emotionally, right? In the yeah. back of our minds and that limbic system, that's when we decide right away, are we gonna be attracted to someone? Are we gonna buy this car? Um, you know, or is this person gonna be a friend of ours? It happens so quickly in the limbic system in the back of our mind then it shoots to the frontal cortex of our, of our heads, right? Where we justify that emotional decision. Um, and that's why there's a lot of bad advertising marketing work out there. It's all based on logically driven reasons to believe and not emotionally reasons to believe. Yep. Yeah. It's that rallying cry that, you know, the whole team commits to that's, that's awesome. Absolutely. And so a couple questions here for you, Scott, because um, I'm glad we really got into advertising because it's something that everybody is exposed to marketing. Everybody wants to figure out that secret sauce. So yep. um, that was pretty good. Now, for people out there that are listening that are thinking about launching their own company, you know, starting something up, any general advice or kind of tips that you, you might share with them? Absolutely. Uh, number one, have a long runway. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, put yourself in a position, you know, to, to get through those, those, those long winters. Um, uh, that, that's the first thing I always coach, um, have a foundation, um, that is, that is based on consumer, like a consumer insight. So make sure the business is, is, is solving for something that, that is an insight amongst consumer behavior. I believe right now we're in a, a, a reset and there's amazing opportunities to where people are looking for businesses to solve uh, a problem that they have. 
Um, and then and then make sure that's differentiated from your customers. So like, again, those three concentric circles, you know, what do you provide as a brand? Um, how are you different from your competitors? Um, and how does that solve a consumer? Like, how is that based in, in a consumer insight? And those three things in the middle is like, what is that one thing? So a lot of times um, companies are like, you know, like if you look at car commercials as a great example, they have one thing that they market. They don't talk about the 30 reasons their car is better than the next car. They talk about one thing like a safety or more room or stylish. The more things that you try to communicate to your benefits, your consumers, the likelihood of success go down tremendously that each additional consumer benefit that you put in there. Um, so the, the, again, I, this is coming from a marketing standpoint, but I think it, it also pertains to, to product development. Um, so long runway, um, solving some sort of con consumer need that's like deep in, in consumer like behavior. Um, and, and there's so many tools you can find this from um, Facebook and Instagram insights and Google insights and Google trends. And the internet has a wide variety of a lot of consumer insights. Now uh, I subscribe to hundreds of thousands of consumer insight services, things like Mintel, where we're always looking for like, what's the latest consumer trend, whether it's um, they want to be more connected to people, uh, but they, they want, they have a higher um, uh, need for uh, uh, travel. And when they travel, they want uh, better customer service. Like what are these insights and how's your business solving that need? And how is that differentiated from your competitors? Um, and then how do you give yourself a long runway to succeed? Because um, I don't think the smartest win in today's market, I think the quickest to adapt win, right? Like everything's now a digital yeah. campaign. It's testing and optimizing and changing directions quickly based on, you know, what consumers want. Got it. That was a and long throw up of answers, <laughs> but hopefully there's some smart thought in there somewhere. No, there definitely was. I think that was insightful. And kind of in a similar vein, um, you mentioned consumer behavior. This is, I know this is kind of a broad general question. Maybe we could find a narrow answer to, but <clears throat> excuse me, how would you say that consumer behavior is changing right now? Like, what does that future look like? Oh man, great, great question. Uh, let's see. I, I think um, the, the, the um, Edelman puts out a study. So Edelman's a PR agency, one of the largest PR agencies in the world. Um, they put out a trust barometer um, and what I've seen is the trust barometer for people is at an all-time low. Uh, people don't believe anything, right? The political environment, COVID, um, uh, friends and family, like people just don't believe anything anymore, right? Like our trust in government, our trust in brands, our trust in people is low. Uh, I want to say it was like, I don't know, 20% or 12%. Like, um, uh, I think the biggest thing now is, is, is people want to be able to trust other people and they want to be able to trust brands. They want to be able to trust politicians. So if you have a company that, that, that is transparent and trustworthy, um, that's a big deal because it's, 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 it's a scarcity resource right now. Um, and the other interesting trend that I see is I think um, I, I actually did an article about this and I talked about Elon Musk buying Twitter. Um, and I think, um, Currency is, is also, we don't trust currency, right? Like that's why Bitcoin and all these cryptos going up and NFTs, like no one trusts anything. 
Um, and I, I had in my article, I said, belief is the new currency. Um, if you look at Elon Musk companies, none of them make any money, right? <laughs> uh, Tesla, SpaceX, but shareholders and consumers believe that, that he's really smart and his innovation, his innovation is going to change the world. Um, so uh, my big consumer insight, I think that maybe that your audience can take away is what is the reason to believe? People are looking to believe stuff, um, but they've been misguided. So what are companies doing that is, that is helping solve a lack of belief in, I think, American consumers? Um, and if you can be transparent and you can be a, a leader in a way that is so trusting, um, I think those are the type of brands people are going to want to align themselves with because everyone's bought that product on Instagram that was from China or wherever that was like misrepresented. Um, and we're looking for authentic representation uh, because we want to believe in something and there's just a lack of belief in the marketplace and companies that have belief are trading at enormous value and, and the, 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 the sales and the revenue matter, but not like they used to. It's all about belief. I think that's, uh, you could underscore that a thousand times that belief is the new currency. Um, that's, that's a great quote right there. So along those lines, and, and maybe we can kind of tie it all together with this, you know, belief is the new currency. Where do you start with that? Because I mean, if you, you turn on the news, all you hear is this is the news you could trust or the spin yeah, stops here. Yeah, yeah. You, you get a politician and they're like, I yeah. just tell it the way that it is. And everybody out there is like, are you kidding me? Like, shut up. Like, yeah. Where, how do you correct that? So it's really interesting. I actually think it's counterintuitive. Um, you correct it by, in my opinion, being extremely authentic and vulnerable. Um, I think actually people are over-polished. We used to have extremely polished movies and polished shows and polished advertising. And now people want real because we're used to reality shows that aren't real. Like everything's fake, everything's manufactured. So when you go through these exercises, like these branding exercises, and you really try to understand who you are as a person or who you are as a company, I think you can find some authenticity and authenticity and vulnerability um, requires actually being counterintuitive and letting people know how you failed or when you failed or that you fail. People wanna hear that. People are looking, that's why if you look at the best influencers out there, they're authentic. They say they're flawed. They talk about their flaws. They're open with their flaws. It's completely counterintuitive to what we're made to believe, which is people want polish and perfection. No, people want real, like real, real. So I think that's actually the opportunity is, is being comfortable enough with yourself and your brand to where you can speak realness. That's why people like Elon. That's why people like Joe Rogan. But some people hate him too, but they're real. Uh, um, and so I think that's a real opportunity for companies and brands is true realness and authenticity. And it's really hard to do. Um, it's really, really hard to do. And if it's not done right, people are going to smell out bullshit and you're going to get canceled. Um, and so, um, I don't know if I was a company, I'd work really hard on that. And if you, if you see the companies thriving, like Sarah Blankley, I love at Spanx, she's freaking real. And people know she's real. And that's why one of the big reasons I think she's been successful. And she talks about how she's failed thousands of times. Um, and people can relate to that. And we, we as human beings relate to other people. And if, if, they're, if they put their flaws out there 
uh, it inspires us because um, we we know they're being truthful. Um, that's I, I I think that's um, that's what I believe. Um, and this is maybe a segue. So I actually do have a book coming out. Um, it's called Resets, um, and that's what I'm trying to talk about. That's what I'm trying to lean into. And I have all these examples of brands that were real. And, and they had enormous success after that. I think that's one of the reasons we've had some success is because I've been, I've failed like crazy. Like I went to rehab, like I've, I've been divorced. Like I've had all these crazy failures. And then I started looking at all the greatest marketing campaigns and they all were based on the same human truth of realness and failure. Like if you look at Avis, they didn't say they were the best. They said, we try harder, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? If you look at some of the other brands that really screwed up, like KFC had a campaign and it was like F, it was like FCK, like we screwed up, we're sorry, <laughs> right? And people loved it, it worked really well. Um, so I think that's the opportunity is kind of to embrace this new world where people yeah. are looking for real authentic leadership and not bullshit. They've had enough of it. Yeah. They don't believe it anymore. Yeah, and I guess it's human nature, you know, to try and give that second chance and hope for that comeback story of sorts. So, of course, yeah, the underdog. Story. Yeah, I mean, yep. it, same thing happens too with if you look at big scandals, the big scandals that have popped up, the people that have like owned it and stood up and be like, I screwed up. Um, I'm owning this, my bad. Um, and, and great PR professionals that help them through that the right way, they bounce back. The other people mm -hmm. that hide and try to manipulate it and try to look good they're toast. So yep. um, I think there's real opportunity around the realness. I think if you were a company and you were transparent, like, hey, here are the 10 things we've been screwing up the last 10 years and here's how we're trying to fix it. I think people would be like, holy shit, this IT company that I've had is amazing. This, you know, this uh, hotel company that, that talked about the, thing, the ways that they weren't serving their customers right now, how they want to change. I like these people. These people like get it. Yeah, yeah, very cool. That's a, this has been great, Scott. I think there's just so much here that uh, everyone's going to have some takeaways. So one of the favorite parts I hear from my listeners is often we'll conclude with a guest with uh, the lightning round, where I'll just fire off some questions, uh, get to know you, uh, you know, as a, a person, what kind of makes you tick. And um, so if you're cool with that, you know, we'll get started. And then you just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Love it. Let's do it. All righty. So favorite movie. Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> okay. Oh, came to mind. <laughs> favorite book? Um, favorite book. Oh man, I have so many favorite books. Uh, the Four Agreements. The Four Agreements. I have not read that one. Oh my! You get, do yourself one favor, everybody. <laughs> go get this book. It it is the single greatest book that anyone could read. Um, it's Four Agreements to Life. Um. And that book changed my life. And anyone I've given that book to has literally changed their life. It's, it's, awesome. and it's a short read, super deep, but that book will change some people's lives. I promise okay. that. I will definitely check it out. And when you were growing up, did you have a childhood hero? And if so, who was that? Uh, I was such a big sports fan. Um, would have been my childhood hero. Oh, uh, Pat Tillman. Pat Tillman, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, awesome. Played, played at uh, Arizona State University, obviously Cardinals. I'm an I'm a I'm an Arizona guy, so yeah, Pat Tillman. I'm looking at his jersey in my office right <laughs> right now. Yeah, he's the man. Yeah, let's take a What a story. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, favorite vacation you had or or destination that you've been to? 
Hawaii. I'm a surfer. Hawaii is just, I, I can unplug there. I can, I can like recharge or something about it that just like recharges you. And I'm a surfer. So yep. just being in the warm water with great waves and oh, Hawaii, there's a reason why Hawaii's freaking an amazing place. Yeah, I agree. Did my honeymoon there. And I would say Kauai in particular is just. Uh, uh, yes, I, Kauai <laughs> uh, and the North Shore of Kauai in Hanalei Bay in Princeville are, and, and the Nepali coast of Kauai. It's, yep, yep. there's not a place like that in the world, I believe. I agree. And so you're a busy guy. Uh, how much do you sleep at night? So I'm a, I, I'm a crazy sleep person. I'm like, my buddy has all these like insights to sleep and he like, wears this like band? And then he like tests all these different supplements and does this. And like, he's a nut. He's a totally type A nut and I'm not. So I just listen to all his insights to getting great <laughs> REM sleep. And I don't do it uh, like with the insights he does, but I just do what he does to try to get great sleep. So yeah, I like to get you know, between six to seven hours of a really good REM sleep. I actually have this thing called the Uller. It's a bed cooler, uh, like an air conditioning underneath your bed. And if you sleep cool at night, he was telling me you get like 30% more REM sleep a night. And so like, I'm like a nut about this stupid, like air conditioning. Under your <laughs> like it's a weird, like it's a weird thing, but uh, yeah. I might have to check that out too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Check out the, the, cooler. the Uller. got it. <laughs> And uh, do you have a quote that you live by? Mm. So many good quotes. Damn, these are good questions. Um, there's a really long thing I, I have in my office um, called The Man in the Arena. Um, and it's uh, it's by, who is it by? It's so good. It's by Theodore is Roosevelt. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, right? Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, yeah. Man in the Arena. And it's just about like basically here's to like people getting their ass kicked and getting back up again and keep it, keep going. <laughs> That's what yep. it's about. And for those like sitting on the side and making fun of the person in the arena and their blood and sweat, like, you know, screw you guys. Like here's to the people, the men and yep. women who are like doing it, you know, giving and, it and, all. Yeah. And trying their ass off like that. I love that shit. That's awesome. And then last two questions here, because this is a bit of a finance show. That's my background. Yeah. Uh, is there something that you could qualify as your best investment that you've made? Mm. Could be financial or otherwise. Yeah. The best investment I've made is investing in myself. It's going to therapy. It's going to business performance coaches. It's the learning that I've done on my own time. It's the conferences that I've gone to. It's the 12 step meetings that I've gone to, it's the meditation, it's the physical workouts that I've done. Like uh, the best investment you can make, and I forget who said it, uh, is, I think it was Warren Buffett or someone, like the best investment you can make is investing in yourself. Okay. And on the flip side, any worst investment that you could point to? Oh man. Um, the worst investments I've made is um, spending time or having business partners or people uh, in, in my life that didn't align with my energy or my values. Yep. No, that's a good point. I think that's a, a tough one I would agree with for any business owners. It's like, you, it feels weird and hard to cut people loose, but if they're not getting you one step closer to your goal, then they're taking you away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of my mentors, he was always like, I used to always invest in deals. Now I invest in people. Like, I, 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 I could see the best business deal and it makes all the sense in the world and it wasn't the right person and it wasn't the right energy person. And they've always fail, always. And then there'll be someone who has an okay business idea, but the person 
I knew would make it work because they were just incredible person. Those almost always work. So like just the right people, like how important like the right people are uh, more so than an idea. Um, I, I think uh, I think that anytime I've had a great idea or a great business plan, it's just like a, a person I was like, oh, is this person kind of scummy or is this person like, you know, whatever, like, and, yeah. I, and if it even pops up, like, I, and I still have to like, you know, my girlfriend too, it helps me like, is that the right person, you know, you really <laughs> want to be in business with? And you're like, you know what? Probably not. And making yeah. that, you know, decision, even though it looks, the deal can look so juicy at times um, to like be true to that. Uh, that's, that's, I, I've made some really bad uh, investments yeah. in that arena. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. And, and you kind of only learn by experience, you know, with some of these yeah. things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Scott, this was awesome. I mean, it, it was a blast talking to you. I think there's so much here for people to take away. Uh, anything that you wanted to close with, um, you know, whether it's something you got coming up in the future or anything you want to share with everyone? I, man, I don't, I don't have much. Yeah, just thanks for having me on. Um, I, thanks for what you're doing with the podcast. I, I, I love people out there doing these. Um, I, I, the format of just having a cool conversation um, inspires me. So thanks for thinking of me to even have me on and um, hopefully there was at least some insights that someone could take some <laughs> somewhere, yeah. even, even if it was one, uh, no, I'm sure. so just th I'm thanks sure. for having me on. Appreciate, appreciate it. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. And, uh, maybe we'll close with, I know you said you have a book coming out called resets. So, uh, what's the target for that one? Can people expect that? Uh, that should be coming out in the next two or three months. It's something I've been working on for five years. Um, so, uh, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. It, it was supposed to be a marketing book because I'm such a brilliant marketer. I thought I'd write a marketing book and everyone think I'm really great. And uh, you know, all these big companies would hire us to be their agency because I'm a genius. Um, and as I got into the book, I realized what a mess I was and what a failure <laughs> I have been at so many times in my life. And uh, those were the insights that I thought people could use and um, I could help people with. Uh, and I thought they were really unconventional um, and you know, maybe there's a lot of people out there that like, don't feel like they're that smart. Didn't go to Ivy league. I didn't even graduate college, barely graduated high school. Um, so I think the insights in this book that came out, you know, um, are really cool and really different. And, um, uh, I guess that's the book I'm supposed to write. So, uh, excited cool. for it to finally come out. Um, anyone that knows doing a podcast or writing a book is insane. Like it is so much time so much work, so much money. <laughs> it definitely yeah. doesn't make sense because the, uh, the trade-off of time versus reward is, I, I, I it's, it's, it's insane, but, um, yeah, so yeah. I'm excited about it and, cool. uh, yeah, hopefully it can, it can help some people. I know, um, the insights really helped me as, as even I look back about some really unconventional things, um, and how it ties to, I think our own journey, is so connected and our own journey, our own relationships are so connected to business that I don't think they should be separated. I think our own personal failures and finding out who we are is, it relates to our business. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is the year of the personal brand, like personal brands do really well, whether you like it or not, your personal brands tied to the business at some level and your personal values. And so I think marketing and business and professional development are all one big thing. Sure. Um, so that's kind of the, the book. It's just a, hodgepodge of all of all of that and it's and it's more written in an insight form um and it it has a lot of personal and vulnerable failures that that i've <laughs> encountered so 
anyone else who's crashed and burned multiple times, you know, maybe it'll make you feel better. <laughs> yeah. And we're all out there. So I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate that. And uh, that'll be exciting to check out the book resets coming out soon. So everyone, thank you for tuning in today. We've uh, heard from Scott Harkey, the president of OH Partners and author of the upcoming book resets. Be sure to check that out. And uh, thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. You've just listened to the Kaderna podcast. Be sure to go spread the good word with all your friends and family out there. Leave us a review and we will catch you next time. This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Kaderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Phone number 973-244-4420. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0K04194.